0: We're going to have a prayer this morning for Memorial Day to lead us in prayer. Uh, Bill Pearson will be leading us in prayer this morning. Bill is a retired ordained deacon in the Roman Catholic Church, which in that tradition is the highest... Office a person can reach without taking vows of priesthood. Bill has been attending here with us at Lakeland for the last two years with his daughter Paige, son in law Rod, and grandchildren uh, Riley, Quinn, and Lucy. Bill has also um, uh, served in Vietnam. Uh, from 1966 to 1967 as a helicopter pilot, uh, sometimes flying as many as 20 missions a day. He was honorably discharged at the rank of captain in 1967. So let us stand, and let us thank uh, Bill for his service as he comes to lead us in prayer.
1: Oh, Heavenly Father, We come this morning to worship you, your Son, and Holy Spirit. On this Memorial Day weekend, we ask your blessing on all of our armed forces, men and women who have paid the ultimate price with their lives so that we may live in freedom in this great country of ours. They are great examples for us in courage and self-sacrifice. In that, we should take strength, comfort, and guidance, not only for today's grace, but the grace in years to come. Life is precious, Lord. Let us not take it for granted. Let us not waste it on frivolous things. Let us honor our veterans and strive to make their sacrifice meaningful. Life and death matter, Lord. This is where the rubber meets the road. We also pray for all the families of our loved ones left behind and those who still grieve. And let us not forget to pray for those women and men who guard our country today in all parts of the world. They need God's loving presence in the difficult assignments that they face to bring peace for all nations. For this we pray in Christ's name. And we all say, amen.
0: Well, we're here, thank you, Beth. We're here to talk about the book of Proverbs, uh, wisdom and worry. So everyone, worry is now officially an epidemic uh, in the United States. 18% of us suffer from some type of anxiety disorder, according to the New York Times. $2 billion will be spent this year on uh, drugs to manage anxiety. In international studies, Americans are more anxious than Nigerians, more anxious than the Lebanese, and more anxious than Ukrainians, all of whom were at war inside their own borders at the time the study was conducted. I asked you last year... Of all the uh, topics covered by the Old Testament book of Proverbs, which do you find that you would like the most wisdom for? 25% of you all picked one topic, and it wasn't debt, and it wasn't wealth, or being a parent, or marriage, or work and career. Given 20 topics to pick from, a quarter of you zeroed in on worry and trust in God. Proverbs is a book of wisdom for this. It has short essays, if you read it. It has poems. It also has tons and tons of these one-line sayings that read a lot like fortune cookies, yet they have the power to pierce our hearts. And when it comes to worry, there are a lot of places to start. We'll start with Proverbs 22, 5, which says, Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse, but the cautious... We'll keep far from them. Cautious. That's a lot nicer word than worry. Maybe, uh, and, and, and it's, but the Bible says that caution isn't all bad. So maybe you and I, were not worriers this morning. Maybe we're just cautious. And, and some chuckles. Yeah, you know that's not where it's headed, do you? Um, cautious, that's what we'd like to think of ourselves. And, and the Bible says caution is wise. Except that's the exact verse that I used in 1999 when I took all of my family's meager resources as a second year school teacher and I bought canned goods and filled up plastic barrels with water from the garden hose, preparing for the Y2K apocalypse. Some of you are too young to remember this. but Before the Mayan calendar ran out and before the blood moons promised us the end of the world, we had Y2K. And I completely bought into all of the hype and hysteria, and I used Proverbs to justify it. I often quoted Proverbs 22.3. The clever, that's me, the clever (laughs) see danger and hide, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Now at that time, Pastor Dan told us all that nothing was going to happen. He predicted that Y2K would be the biggest non-event since the Earth passed through the tail of Halley's Comet at the turn of the 20th century. We'll see, I said, being that I'm the clever one, but don't come crawling to me when you run out of cream of mushroom soup. (laughs) Just a few days after New Year's Day, as I was emptying my barrels of water so I could again park my car in our single detached garage, I learned two lessons. One, never watch religious television. (laughs) Kept that promise ever since. And two, worry can be wise, but it can also be a trap. Sucking away your time and your energy and valuable resources, preventing things that are very unlikely to happen in the first place or are unpreventable. How many seconds, if the Y2K had happened, would it take for a roving gang of marauders to penetrate my single car detached garage in downtown Lee Summit? <laughs> are you anxious or are you cautious? Here's a few questions that will help you decide because caution is wise in Proverbs and, and anxiety is destroying us. So, which are you, anxious or cautious? Is it hard for people to offer you good news? Because you dismiss it with phrases like, well, we'll see, or I hope so, but I doubt it. If you resist good news, that's not cautious, that's anxious. Do you avoid celebrating little victories toward your goal as a form of self defense, protecting you against things like hope and disappointment, should your big goal never be reached? Failure to celebrate the things that have actually happened that are good is not cautious, that's anxious. Do you spend large amounts of money on things you don't need except to prepare for disasters that are very, very unlikely to happen? That's anxious. And when someone is suffering, do you quickly lecture them about how their suffering could have been prevented had they only taken the proper measures? Because when you lecture someone who's already in pain about how it could have been prevented, you're not doing that for them. You're doing that for yourself because you're anxious. You're ignoring their pain and comforting yourself with the assurance that what has happened to them could never happen to you because you've taken the appropriate measures. And it's a very cruel thing to do to someone who's already suffering. Even in our other Bible here at Lakeland Community Church, the Star Wars Trinity, Trilogy, fear is the main enemy of the force. I sense much fear in you. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. (laughs) So what are we saying this morning about worry? Are we saying don't worry? Are we saying there's nothing to worry about? Are we saying fear not? Are we saying we have nothing to fear but fear itself? It would be a very easy, very short message for me to say, um, You have no reason to be afraid because God is on your side and He will protect you. But even a, a quick look around the world tells you that's just not true. Though half of us, if asked, What would you want from God more than anything? Although half of us would say safety and stability, to be safe and have all the uncertainty of the world settle down and go away, the truth is that God doesn't bring us that kind of safety and stability. He just doesn't. Very bad things happen to very good people. That's just a fact. And so, because our world is not perfectly safe, we're all anxious. And Proverbs tells us, it's not all bad. Listen to this one. Proverbs 28, 14. Happy is the one who is never without fear, but the one who's hard-hearted will fall into calamity. Sometimes Proverbs just torments you with stuff like this. Happy is the one who's never without fear. This is so um, disturbing to some Bible translators. Some Bibles you're holding right now say, happy is the one who fears to do wrong. Ah, okay, that makes more sense. Or uh, happy is the one who fears the Lord, amen. But I can promise you there's not a word in the Hebrew to support those translations. If you literally translate straight off the Hebrew, word by word, you get this. Blessed is the man who always trembles. Darn, that's way harder to understand than those other ones. What is God saying to us? Be afraid, be very afraid. (laughs) Clearly the Bible commends caution. But how much caution is enough? Some of you already know that your fear and your worry is ruining your life. It consumes you. It's ruining your health. It's hindering your relationships. It's costing you friendships. It may be costing you a healthy marriage. It might be ruining your finances. Either because you spend money you shouldn't on weird gadgets to prevent things that are very unlikely, or you're turning your house into some sort of fortress, preparing for the coming apocalypse, or because You won't buy anything at all because you're stockpiling cash to be your security. And if you're truthful, those cash reserves will never be big enough to make you feel safe. I'll never forget the Ted Turner interview when the interviewer asked him, how much is enough, Uh, Ted? He goes, I don't know, but I don't have it yet. They said, you're worth $2 billion. That's enough. He goes, it's not enough. It's not enough. And he meant it, $2 billion. So I guess maybe three, maybe three billion dollars and we'll all feel secure. I bet not. You checked worry on that card last December because you can tell it's killing your soul. Those proverbs we've read so far are for the reckless or as we otherwise know them, the young. Um, (laughs) We need some other proverbs for the rest of us. We need like uh, Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of others lays a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord is secure. We want security, but we don't want to be caught in a trap trying to get security. And many of us sense that that is what's happening to us. But God's word this morning suggests there is a way out of that trap. We've got a first hint here in Proverbs twelve twenty five. Anxiety weighs down the human heart, but a good word cheers it up. Yes, our hearts are weighed down this morning. But the message of Scripture is that we don't have to live in that weighed-down way. There is a good word that can cheer us up. And we've already got the first hint of it when we read twenty-nine, twenty-five. The fear of others lays a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord is secure. We can, if we can trust in God, there is security in that. But how do we trust in a God who does not save us from pain all the time? How can we trust in a God who doesn't always keep bad things from happening, no matter how faithful we are and what measures we take? How can we have a trust in Him that brings security? it begins by remembering this proverbs 20:24 20, all our steps are ordered by the lord how then can we understand our own ways god made the whole universe and everything in it how can you and i know better than he about how it should run and how it all fits together God sees all the people of the earth, not just what they're doing, but what they will do and what they have done. And not only that, but he also sees into the heart. He sees why they're doing it or did it or will do it. How can we ever predict better than God what's going to happen next and what good or evil may come from it? We are and you and I, you and I are cosmically limited to three-dimensional space, whereas God lives in every dimension of the universe, in all of time, in all of reality, seeing it all in an all-at- once sort of way that we really can't get our mind around. How can we know what things mean better than He, and why they are the way they are? Think back to when we were teenagers, or for those of you who are teenagers. We had no idea why our parents come up with these rules about being home before a certain time. Even when they told us why we had to be home before a certain time, we could not understand the answer. We replied, that's stupid. That's not going to happen. I'm not like that. Now that we've seen more of the universe, we know there are a dozen reasons why everyone ought to be home before a certain time. Now that we have enough perspective to see behind the command, now we pass it on to our own children who don't understand it. Be home by a certain time. Might there also be meaning and purpose? in pain that we who are young in the universe don't yet understand. Most of us worry, most of our worry is about avoiding pain. It's about avoiding financial pain and physical pain and emotional pain and relational pain and spiritual pain. But what if there is purpose in pain? So my son once had something stuck in his hand. We did not know what it was, but it formed a swelling, and I thought, well, it'll eventually push on out. But that swelling became a painful, discolored lump on his hand that started to change quite an oppressive variety of colors. Then it got to where he couldn't close his hand anymore. He's about six years old. Then we got a note home from his teacher that he was complaining that. The pressure of holding a pencil was too much pressure on his hand. And so, don't try this at home, I was a science major, um, I got a needle, and I sterilized it, and I sat him down and said, we're going to have to remove this, whatever it is. I kept trying to explain it, he was six years old, he was not having it. So I said, well, I'll just go play. I let him play a couple hours till he forgot about that whole thing, then I invited him back to the table. I said, here, let's do this. And I piled up towels on his upper arm to where he couldn't see his own hand anymore. And then I put my hand and pinned his hand down to the table and I got the needle and asked my wife to come sit at the table and hold all his fingers down because he'd have to be absolutely immobilized. At this moment, he figured out something is about to happen. (laughs) And he started screaming in panic. What are you doing? What are you doing? Why? 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 I said, just take a second. Why? He wanted to know the meaning. He didn't know. He couldn't know. Abscess, infection, nerve damage, these are all foreign to his understanding of the world. I tried to explain it. He didn't understand it. And as we got ready to do the deed, my eight-year-old daughter comes inside from playing with a friend. She walks in on this scene in the kitchen. The towels, the parents, the needle, the son, who looks at our daughter with tears streaming down his face and says these words, Aiden, help me. They're killing me. Aiden, they're killing me. Aiden, they're killing me. And at that moment, something came alive inside my sweet eight-year-old daughter. Something was unleashed. She crossed the living room, and she punched me in the face. All four of us froze in shock. I know what some of you are thinking. Now, wait a minute. Eight-year-old girls don't punch their fathers in the face unless they've seen that sort of thing done at home before. That's what we thought. <laughs> but I promise you, this girl has never seen anyone punched in the face in our home. As it turns out, we've later learned, she was kind of a born boxer. When we asked her, where have you learned this? She said, well, in elementary school she, at that time, she said, one time somebody bullied me and I, I punched them in the face and, and they went away. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> Well, you'll really like this next part, because I had to ask permission to tell this story this last Friday, and now it comes out, not just that one time. <laughs> Evidently, since kindergarten, off and on, when someone's being picked on, she punched them in the face. <laughs> she said, I finally learned you shouldn't punch people in the face, so I started kneeing them in the solar plexus instead. <laughs> Cause that's not better, honey. <sighs> All right. This explains why when I started teaching our daughter martial arts, she took to the heavy bag like a baby duck sliding into the water. I've told her many times, honey, if it weren't for the cornrows and the tattoos, I would sign you up for youth boxing. But this, this was the day as far as I knew that it all began. And so I said, you go to your room. And she burst into tears and ran out of the room. And Ashley gasped what are we going to do? I said, let's deal with this freak show and then we'll go deal with whatever that was. And so temporarily blinded in one eye (laughs) from my little princess turned Mike Tyson, we turned back to our son, sterilized needle in hand and he commenced shrieking like Han Solo being tortured in Cloud City. We never even asked him any questions. But when I barely pricked that swelling with the needle. Out came a biological jack-in-the-box of festive (laughs) colors and one barely visible to the naked eye shard of glass, probably the only substance that all the white blood cells in the world will never break down. And as soon as the needle hit his hand, my son behind the towel mountain says, Oh, that feels better. I don't need you to do anything. I said, We've already done it. Oh, wow, I didn't feel a thing. Oh, wow, I can move my hand. And I turned to him and I said, Now you march straight to your sister's room since you just accused us of trying to murder you. And you tell her how wonderful you feel now. (laughs) All right, he said. Our daughter apologized later and we said, There's no need. You panicked and your first instinct was to protect your brother. I hope you hang on to that instinct forever. But I also hope that you'll learn to trust us more in the future. Proverbs 16:4 says the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Proverbs assures us God knows the meaning. He knows why he made even wicked people for the day of trouble. He knows the purpose and the meaning behind the day of trouble. We shout out, he's killing us, but he's not. And he knows, he knows the meaning of it all. Charles Stanley is a pastor and and he wrote this story. He said, I heard a story once about a farmer who had some puppies for sale. He made a sign advertising the pups and nailed it to a post on the edge of his yard. He was nailing this, As he was nailing the sign to the post, he felt a tug on his overalls. He looked down to see a little boy with a big grin and something in his hand. Mister, he said, I want to buy one of your puppies. Well, said the farmer, these puppies come from fine parents and they cost a good deal. The boy dropped his head for a moment. Then he looked back up to the farmer and said, I've got 39 cents. Is that enough to take a look? Sure, the farmer said. And with that, he whistled and called out, Dolly, here, Dolly. And out from the doghouse and down the ramp ran Dolly, followed by four little balls of fur. The boy's eyes danced with delight. Then from out of the doghouse peeked another little ball, this one noticeably smaller. Down the ramp, it slid and began hobbling in an unrewarded attempt to catch up with the others. The pup was clearly the runt of the litter. The little boy pressed his face against the fence and cried out, I want that one, pointing to the runt. The farmer knelt down and said, Son, you don't want that puppy. He'll never be able to run and and play with you the way you would like. With that, the boy reached down and slowly pulled up one leg of his trousers. In doing so, he revealed a steel brace running down both sides of his leg, attaching itself to a specially made shoe. Looking up at the farmer, he said, You see, sir, I don't run too well myself, and he'll need someone who understands. Of the most common purposes people find in pain, it's that it creates in them a Christ-like compassion that winds up being used to help someone else. At the time the pain is happening to you, you absolutely cannot see its purpose or even imagine that it could ever have a purpose. But keep your eyes on God instead of on fear and worry, and the meaning becomes clear. To share a, a story of, our, of this phenomenon of what happens with pain and God... We have a story from right here in our own congregation. Let's watch this together.
2: My name is Kathy Gutierrez, and I am the founder of Dignity Liberia. When I was young, my father And mother, who were not churchgoers, actually attended a church on um, the invitation of his mother to see a missionary from Africa speak. And they were so moved by that presentation that my dad surrendered to preach in that moment and felt that God was calling him to missions. And we ended up in Liberia, West Africa, as missionaries. And my dad taught Bible and my mother was the school nurse. Um, when I got to Liberia, I was 12 years old, which was a little old to be starting as a missionary child. I adopted Liberia as my heart country and I loved the people and I, I loved the, l- the food. I was totally immersed in this culture. And then they sent me back to the States uh, when I graduated high school. And I thought at that time that Liberia was, um, was behind me. Um, I grieved it, I still loved the country and um, but I had decided that part of my life was over, but God had not decided that. Um, I got married, I had children, I have a very happy life, and um, I had a hysterectomy, and the result of that hysterectomy was a fistula that is not a very common occurrence and um, It happened to me. I don't know if I just thought that because I was so special to God that He was gonna protect me from all things bad. But I did learn at that point that there is going to be pain in your life. It was a tremendous amount of pain and I don't think I could have made it through that moment without the help of my friends from church um, that totally carried us through that. But it ended up being five months of pain. When I had a fistula, it became very clear to me that God was really pressing into my heart this passion and this desire to help girls who suffer with obstetric fistula. And I know that we're not always fortunate about knowing what God has planned for us, but I can tell you in that moment I could not argue, I could not defend. I had to work with fistula girls. It, had, it was clear to me that that's what I needed to do. And then one day I got my magazine and I opened it up and there was a full page ad, now supporting a hospital in Liberia, West Africa. And I, all the hairs on my arm stood up. And I said, that's it. They cannot keep me out of Liberia. That's my home. So I contacted a friend, um, actually a student of my father's, and I said, Emil, you've got to go talk to this Dr. Moba in this article and tell him my story and see what I can do. And he called me the next day and said, Dr. Moba wants to meet you. And I was like, awesome, this is it. So all of these little things, all these fingers coming into um, Dignity Liberia, affirm the fact that I am in God's will, and that I'm going the right direction. And, and he makes it very clear to me. Now, some of those things you can only see in hindsight when you look back. But that's okay, because when I see them, when I look back in hindsight, and see how God has charted these steps, and made this plan, then I have full confidence that that plan is carrying into the future. I may not know what it is, but He has a plan. So I have confidence in that. And um, even though it was painful, I'm very grateful that God reached down and, and touched my life in that way.
0: At the time the pain is happening, you absolutely cannot see its purpose nor even imagine that it could ever have a purpose. But keep your eyes on God instead of on fear and worry and the meaning becomes clear. Proverbs 16:4 the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked, for the day of trouble. 20, all our steps are ordered by the Lord. How can we understand our own ways? three five trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own insight. twenty nine twenty five, the fear of others lays a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord is secure. God is a very experienced father who knows. I read this essay once from Paul Harvey about being a grandparent. He has some very unique insights about raising kids. I would like to share it with you. We tried so hard to make things better for our kids that we made them worse. For my grandchildren, I'd know better. I'd really like for them to know about hand-me-down clothes and homemade ice cream and leftover meatloaf, I really would. My cherished grandson, I hope you learn humility by being humiliated and that you learn honesty by being cheated. I hope you learn to make your bed and mow the lawn and wash the car. And I hope nobody gives you a brand new car when you turn 16. I hope you have a job by then. It would be good if at least one time in your life you can see a baby calf born and see your old dog put to sleep. I hope you get a black eye fighting for something you believe in. I hope you have to share a bedroom with your younger brother. And it's all right to draw a line right down the middle of the room. But when he crawls under the covers... Because he's scared, I hope you let him. And when you want to see a Disney movie and your kid brother wants to tag along, I hope you let him. I hope you have to walk uphill with your friends and that you live in a town where you can do it safely. In rainy days, when you have to hitch a ride, I hope your driver doesn't have to drop you two blocks away so you won't be seen riding with somebody as uncool as your mom. If you want a slingshot, I hope your father teaches you how to make one instead of buy one. I hope you learn to dig in the dirt and read books. And when you learn to use computers, I also hope you learn how to add and subtract in your head. I hope you get razzed by friends when you have your first crush on a girl. And when you talk back to your mother, I hope you learn what ivory soap tastes like. (laughs) May you skin your knee climbing a mountain, burn your hand on a stove, and stick your tongue in a frozen flagpole. I hope you get sick when some stupid old person blows cigar smoke in your face. I don't care if you try beer once, but I hope you won't like it. And if a friend offers you a joint or any other drug, I hope you're smart enough to realize that's not your friend. I sure hope you make time to sit on the porch with your grandpa and go fishing with your uncle. May you feel sorrow at a funeral and the joy of the holidays. I hope your mother punishes you when you throw a baseball through a neighbor's window and she hugs you and kisses you at Christmas time when you give her a plaster of Paris mold of your hand. These things I wish for you. Tough times and disappointment, hard work, and happiness. The Lord is the Father of all time and space who writes letters like this for us. He knows the purpose and the meaning behind every experience that we wish wouldn't happen. All our steps are ordered by the Lord. How then can we understand our own ways? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own insight. The truth is we waste time and energy and spoil life running away from the pain that's making life in us. The fear of others lays a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord is secure. Keep your eyes on God instead of on fear and worry and the meaning of will become clear. Well, let us stand together as we have finished our series on wisdom and worry. And these are uh, this benediction is a blessing of peace that we give to one another. So let's bless one another with these words. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace and have a great Memorial Day weekend.